Happy New Year, guys. I hope you are going to have a fantastic 2024, and I hope that it brings you plenty of fun and success out in the great outdoors, whether it be hunting, fishing, camping, hiking, fall driving, whatever it is that you like to do out there, just get out there and have fun. Enjoy 2024 and wishing you all the best. Go get it. You're listening to the Australian Hunting and Beyond podcast with Matt, where we talk about hunting, shooting, fishing, camping, and everything else that the great outdoors has to offer. Let's get into it. Okay, super excited about tonight because it's getting closer to summer. Well, I mean, technically we are in summer by the time we're recording this. Uh, It's been really hot, but fishing is always on my mind when we start to head towards those warmer months. And the hunting does take a bit of a backseat because it's just too damn hot. And tonight I've got a legend. I tell you what. This week has been really cool because two people that I watch a lot of their stuff have teamed up and Roger Osborne, thanks for joining us. But you and Starlo, mate, the fish had no hope. Let's be real. Uh, nice to meet you, Matt. And uh, yeah, no, I had a great time actually. Uh, really enjoyed Starlo's company. Lovely fella. I had not met him before, but um, he lives at Churros Heads area. Yep. And so I went down to his neck of the woods have never been to that particular beach before, but um, yeah, it was awesome, mate. Fantastic. In fact, yeah, we both really had a great time, you know, just like a couple of kids. Look, I am always in awe of what you're doing, especially around how you catch worms. Uh, it's something I try all the time and I'm nowhere near as good as yourself, but just watching you do it with ease, like it's miraculous for me. I love watching it going, what a, yeah, what a way you do it. Yeah, thanks, mate. Uh, it's something, my dad was a beachwormer. We used to live at Collaroy Beach in Sydney. And when I was about 10, my dad was a fisherman as well, obviously. And so he would go beachworming and he was a pliers man. So he used the old pliers. And so I'd go down to the beach when I was about 10 with my dad and he was teaching me to catch worms with the pliers. But for whatever reason, even back then, I thought to myself, I want to catch them in my fingers. You know, I didn't have anyone to teach me. But I would go with my father. I'd wait till we had enough worms to go fishing. Then I'd put the pliers away and I'd just practice, you know, and I'd just try things and test things, you know, and I'd practice and I'd miss worms. And then I eventually got to the point where I would catch one or two worms, which was like, yeah, that was like a huge victory. And um, just to actually be able to catch one in my fingers. And then, um, then I thought to myself, I actually want to make it so that I just catch them in my finger. So even when I was like only 12 or 13, I thought I'm going to leave the pliers at home and I'm just going to persevere and I'm going to make myself catch them in, the, in my fingers. So, and that's what I did. And so now I'm a fair bit older than that and have been catching them for a long time. But I love it. absolutely love it. It's, um, it's, all, it's just amazing being down on the beach. Um, they're really good bait, obviously. But um, I've learned a lot, and it's amazing. There are so many subtleties around beachworming. Just amazing. When I was actually, because I wrote a book on beachworming, there wasn't one in existence in Australia. I did a bit of research, and I thought, well, I've never written a book before, but I'm going to. I wanted to write it to help people, so I thought I actually had to analyse everything that I do when I'm worming. And when I sat down and really thought through the whole process, there's lots of little, there's so much little things that you just do by instinct. If you watch your videos, it does look so easy. And especially if you probably haven't done it before, you'd be going, oh, that's as easy. I can get out and do that. And it's quite the opposite. It takes a, I guess I'd be saying a lifetime to master. I started out with pliers as well. Uh, I've tried both pliers with my fingers, not as successful as yourself. And I will say I was watching it with the wife and she's sitting there just going, that looks just so relaxing. Just standing there, you know, for people that probably don't know, we might want to talk them through it a little bit, but you generally have some pilchards or fish in a stocking and you are waving that along to get the scent coming down as the wave goes back into the ocean to see if you can see these worms. 
the spot you were in was beautiful when you were doing it with Starlo. And my wife's sitting there going, geez, I could just, you can do the fishing. I think I'll try that. I was having a bit of a giggle because she's never tried it before. And I was like, you have no idea how hard that actually is. She should try because women are good at it. They do pick it up. I find women are good at most things and fishing especially. My mum has always outfished my dad. My wife and I, we, uh, my parents live up in Queensland, just opposite Fraser Island. I remember we went out fishing one morning and I was literally out there for, I'd say six hours. Did not even get a bite. I was with his neighbours, on his neighbour's boat. Dad was out there with my brother and not much going on. Went back in to pick my wife up around lunchtime. So not a great time to be out fishing. She came out, 30, 40 fish. And we were sitting on this boat, literally 20 metres away, fishing with the exact same bait, nothing. I I never even got a bite. And she was just reeling them in one after the other. It was insane. My my old man, he was on the same boat. He wasn't catching anything either. We're sitting here, what's going on? Like we're up um, Mary River, I think it was called, but it was insane. I just went, oh, and I do remember growing up and we're a bit, linked in how I sort of grew up down the south coast and practicing or getting involved in fishing and whatnot and my mum was the one that used to when they went out off um they launched at Ulladulla and went out outside mum always caught a lot more than dad it was just sort of a it just happened that way so yeah women are really good fishers I find yeah I don't know there's some some talk about some particular I can't remember actually to do with hormones or different things that you know uh, can make a difference but I actually went fishing with my wife about two weeks ago locally, um, and she, it's the first time she's going to be in a video. A few people ask oh, nice. about that. So she's kind of just hangs back there, but she outfished, she caught more than me <laughs> on that particular occasion. It's funny how it works, but I mean, look, yeah, for yeah. me, just being out there at the end of the day, enjoying what nature has to offer, it is just so much fun. And as I said, I love the videos and you really target some things that I, I love fishing for. I love chasing salmon, big on flathead as well. They are just two, two of my favorites to chase. And I don't know what it is. Salmon are just such a great fighting fish off the beach. And it's so easy because you don't need to have the big fancy boat. You don't need to spend a lot of money to be set up for it. And you can get straight in there and have a crack. Yeah, and they, they seem to be very abundant all along the south coast. They're really quite a staple off the beach. And, you know, when I was living in Sydney, still caught a lot in Sydney as well. Um, I used to fish off the rocks at uh, Narrabeen and, Ta- and Warrywood Headland, caught heaps of salmon. Back then I used to throw a lot of salmon. I, I hardly kept any. I used to throw them back a lot. Caught a lot off Warrywood Beach and Monavale Beach, but they were the beaches closest to where I live. So, you know, I tended to fish them a fair bit. I've been keeping more and eating more since I've been living down the south coast, and we really do love them. And I have guests around and cook them for guests, and honestly, they rave about the salmon. And it's not hard. You know, we even just do them with some egg and some panko crumbs. Just dip the fillets in egg, roll it in the panko crumbs, put it in a pan with a little bit of sunflower oil. Fantastic. It's really good. I've always been a fan of eating them, and I know a lot of people don't classify them as the best table fare, but I think it's how you, I guess, I bleed them straight away. And I find that definitely makes a difference. So it's similar to sort of hunting, I suppose, is the the more if you can, you know, if you shoot an animal through the lungs, it's fantastic because the blood comes out of it. So it makes the flavor taste better. And especially if it's dispatched quickly. So I find fish are very similar in that sense too. And I've always been a big fan of salmon. I do have to say my big my favourite is leather jacket, only in the sense really? is, oh, only in the sense that the, when mum and dad were always going outside fishing, they'd bring back and I loved just cleaning the leather jackets because they're such a simple fish to just cut down behind the spike and just peel that leather the leather jacket back and you're good to go. And I just found it's a really nice, sweet fish and that was always my favourite to do. So it was like the job they gave me and I just sort of, fell in love with it and then I love the fish themselves. I, I do do a fair bit of spear fishing and they're not the greatest to chase when spear fishing. They tend to just sort of sit there, turn side on and look at you. So they're very they easy. are very easy. But uh, hey, look, yeah. what's the saying? Don't kick a gift horse in the mouth. So uh, I tend to yeah. always do take them as well. <laughs> 
So what's your background? Because it's pretty cool what you do now and, and teaching about fishing. But let's um, let's get back to it. You grew up as a butcher, I believe. Yeah, when I my dad was a butcher. He had his own butcher shop. But when I left school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and my dad said to me, why don't you go up the road to the local butcher shop and offer to work two days a week for free to get experience? So I, I said, yeah, okay. You know, so I went up to the local butcher in Narrabeen. They had about 12 full-time butchers in this shop, so it was a big butcher shop. And I just said, look, I just would like to learn and I'm happy to work for, for nothing two days a week. I started washing dishes and helping in the butcher shop. And then after two or three weeks, I think they felt guilty, so they said, no, look, we, we want to pay you. And then I'd been there for about three months and they offered me an apprenticeship. So I never, ever had an interview uh, after school. <laughs> just that, that's how I got a job. So anyway, I did my apprenticeship. I finished my trade as a, as a butcher. When I was at East Sydney Tech, I just found that I really enjoyed, because I, I, you know when you're cutting meat, I, I like things neat. I like presentation. When I slice steaks, I like them to be uniform. And I found that I was getting really good marks at tech without too much effort. So I was it, it motivated me. And I ended up getting number one best practical butcher at East Sydney Tech two years in a row. And I got awarded uh, like special knives, engraved knives, stones, steel. So once I saw I was actually doing okay, you know, I, it, I was really into it. And so I, um, and then I actually got nominated for what's called the bronze medallion out of all trades in New South Wales. So I did really well when I was uh, at Tech for a Butcher. And then when I finished my apprenticeship, I worked for another two years full time. But my father had a catering business. So he, um, my dad had transitioned from, well, what happened? He was a butcher, but he got cancer. And after getting cancer, he didn't have the strength. So he started cooking spit roasts for people because he had the meat skills and he had the contacts. And so he started doing catering. Would you, and would you believe, Matt, that back then, what my dad used to charge, he used to charge $1 a head. Oh. For as much meat as you can Stop eat. it. <laughs> True. <laughs> I compare that to today's prices. My God. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm just trying to think how long ago it was. Uh, you're probably talking 45 years ago. I mean, but he charged a buck a head and he used to make, well, actually, okay, I can tell you the breakup. If he did a party for 100 people, right, it's $100. He... um. His butcher's wage for a day was $18 back then. Yeah, so different now. <laughs> but if he did a party for 100, uh, he'd get 100 bucks, dollar a head. I think he'd spend about 30 bucks on meat and make $70. So it was like three days w wages for doing a party and it wasn't as hard yakka as butchering. So he started doing catering, but then he was on my back because I was a butcher as well to come and work with him and so I started cooking spit roasts when I was about 17 or 18, and I still cook them today. I've been cooking spits for a long time. In fact, I probably, you know, humbly, I don't know if there'd be anyone even in Sydney who's cooked as many spits as me over the last 45, 50 years. It is a super popular thing now. I mean, the oh, I'm a big fan of technology and gear, and I'm always talking about I've got a pellet smoker. And it is just oh, it's next level. I love spit roast. So I love to love cooking with charcoal to the point where I love my pellet grill because it's just literally set, forget, smokes it out, comes out beautifully. But I was really missing cooking on a spit. So I end up getting a Weber uh, kettle barbecue and then you can get a conversion kit so it has its own uh, rotisserie on it now. So you can do that still over the coals and I absolutely love it. I'm still playing around. It's not as easy in the kettle, I find, compared to just the spit, the actual spit itself. I, I just found it's so much easier, a bit more consistent with the heat and using uh, the charcoal as opposed to being in the kettle and doing it. But it's super popular nowadays. Like, I mean, even the TV shows about it, like it's amazing how much that has taken off uh, especially in this country, over in the States, it, it's unbelievable. Oh, it's huge. Hey? Massive, massive. Yeah. Even the shows, I think there's there's a couple of great Netflix ones. I think it's the American Barbecue Showdown and things like that. And it's pretty cool to see the skill involved. And I, I don't think people appreciate how difficult it is 
for some of the these techniques when you're cooking? I um you know, because my dad was a butcher, we we I was mentioning to you and I first spoke to you that we did whole cows, like before it becomes you know, when it's veal, so it's a smaller animal. Um we we would cook whole cows, whole pigs, whole butts of beef on, on the fire, you name it. And back then, my dad, you know, when I was little, I grew up eating things like kidneys and liver. <laughs> used to, mate, I loved kidneys and bacon for breakfast. We used to have kidneys and bacon all the time. And even when we were catering, my, we just had, we had like a little entree that we'd do in these little cups and it was kidneys and bacon fried up, caramelized on the barbecue. We'd serve it with a little spoon. <laughs> but um, it's been a few years since I've eaten kidneys, but uh, I probably, I really probably need to get some. Get some kidneys and revive it, you know. So I, I still eat them. I, my wife thinks I'm weird, but I get the kidneys. I love it on a sandwich with parmesan cheese. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Oh, it's delicious. That with butter. So you know they're nice and warm. They just melt that butter and a little bit of parmesan mm. cheese. It is absolutely delicious. I can eat it all the time. Uh, I look. I do the same kidney and bacon. It is just such a great combo, and I love to not just probably in the last couple of years, but a pie maker. And they are so simple to use. So all the leftovers now, but I'm a massive steak and kidney pie man. So when uh, I get the chance for that, that's always going in as well. I'm big on, on eating everything of the animal that you possibly can. And yeah. it's more from, it's funny. People see hunters sometimes that they like the killing and maybe some do. I'm not about that. I am all about using the animal and knowing where my food comes from. And that's the same as fishing's always been for me as well. If you're going to take a life, I'm very big on making sure that you don't waste any part of that animal that you've taken their life because otherwise I think it's just disrespectful, it's wastage and, and the like. So at every chance I get, I most definitely do, even through Coles and Woolies, I tend to seek out the heart and the kidneys and the liver just because I feel a lot of people won't and it will get thrown out. And that's just such a waste. Plus, oh, it's so full of good nutrients. Oh, yeah, yeah, very rich in protein. And, you know, I think it's part of being thankful, you know, and appreciating, you know. Really, we're really blessed to be able to do it, to be able to go fishing or hunting. Um, I think I mentioned to you I... We recently bought a parcel of land and it's pretty off grid and it's got deer on it and pigs. Um, and I'm keen to uh, harvest, uh, you know, with my butchering skills, I'd like to harvest a uh, deer every so often and just make sausages and, you know, use all of that. Look, I started this podcast as like, I, I love being in the bush and it's been a bit of a progression for me. So I have always been fishing and spearfishing and then as I got older, really got into hiking and doing hike throughs and things like that. And then did a bit of time in the army and found that I really enjoy shooting. So I was doing that very early as well. And um, probably around my, oh, I think early twenties, I started shooting and just enjoyed that side of it. Going for a small game, but then sort of things changed, moved around all the, you know, as life does. And as I'm getting older and having kids, I've sort of gone, oh, look, it's, I'm a bit more wary about spearfishing because I've had a lot of run-ins with sharks and the like and I've sort of been, oh, okay, don't really want to you know, end up being a uh, chum. <laughs> You'll be the prey instead of the, the person. <laughs> yeah, know? 100%. And, you know, I'm not that agile in the water when you think about a shark. So <laughs> I sort of sit there and I do love it but just – I think about how much it could impact my life a little bit. So uh, not that I'm someone that lives in fear, but it is something that I'm just a bit more cautious nowadays. So with the kids, and then I was always big on the number one rule for me when spearfishing is never dive alone. And that makes it trickier as your your mates, all my mates that spearfish have got kids now and you just don't go away as often. And that's been a big change. And so that's where the hunting came in. And up until a few years ago, I probably, probably about 2017, I didn't even know we had deer in this country and then went down the pathway of going, oh, we've got them and I got my R license and started chasing them around state forests and, um, you know, I'm big on just teaching myself and learning through mistakes. I'm a teacher, you know, that's my profession and I learn best by doing. So I know that's the best way for me to learn. Just get out there and have a crack, watch some things, learn as much as you can. And then that's where the podcast came from. I went, I really want to talk to people and, and 
learn from them as we go. So I've uh, been on that journey and uh, went and did my kangaroo harvesting course to learn a bit about butchering and, you know, the like. So that was a a really good one because I had had a bit of an understanding from fish, but they are different and it's a lot more difficult with obviously an animal carcass as opposed to a fish. But then I was, I've been successful in getting my first deer, which is good. And it, uh, it's just so much more meat than a fish. And you know, I've knocked <laughs> off a few goats and things like that. So it's yeah. been really good. I'm a terrible butcher. I will say that. It's, <laughs> I, I butcher the butchering for sure. You're more of a hacker. <laughs> yes. I uh, Look, I'm not terrible. Like I've put up a couple of pictures of the last one. I got a really nice shank actually. It came up real good. So I back sealed that and it looked very presentable and uh, I'm getting a lot better, but it is something that it's such an art form. And if you've got that skill set already, I'm envious because it is a really, a lot of people just don't have any idea where to start. So it's, you're already one up on a lot of people out there before you've even got to the, the hunting and shooting part. Yeah, I mean, I, I do appreciate, I enjoyed being a butcher and it's good good to have the skills. I, I do. I mean, I like having good knife skills. And obviously, because I was cooking for a long time, I started with my father's catering business and then I worked for him for seven years full time, doing spits and all sorts of things. And then when I got married, my wife and I started our own catering business. So that was in, we got married in 1988. So we've been married 36 years next month. So we started our catering business when we got married, doing events all around Sydney. Um, I had a commercial kitchen. I employed chefs. Um, actually won quite a few awards. My business, which I had a commercial kitchen in Cromer, in 2009, we won Australian Corporate Caterer of the Year. Yeah, wow. And I was presented with a plaque at Parliament House in Canberra. Our little business, up against all the best corporate caterers in Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, um, we had a judge. We ha- you have to actually nominate an event and restaurant and catering, catering would send a judge and they would scrutinise absolutely everything, you know, every, every setup. They would, you know, test the temperature of the food, the presentation of the food, the flavour of the food. They would even mark you on value for money based on the price per head that you had charged the customer, every aspect of service. So it's like an, a full-on uni exam. Um, you have to ask permission from the client first. And they agreed to have a judge come. So we went through that process and I won Sydney Corporate Caterer of the Year twice um, and Australian Corporate Caterer of the Year once and also won Sydney Wedding Caterer of the Year twice. Yeah, that's impressive. So I've got, I've got some, you know, when you go into restaurants and you see those plates on, on a, mounted on a board? Oh, yeah. I've got a bunch of them. Oh, yeah, wow. <laughs> but yeah, that's not something really I talk about a lot nowadays, but I, I, I've kept them. <laughs> you know, they're wrapped up in tea towels in a tub. But, yeah, so, look, I, I've been through a lot in the catering industry. I've learned a lot. Probably the biggest function I've ever done was for 2,400 people, one event. I've done multiple functions and dinners for 500 people, up to 1,000 people, so done lots of different things. But I kind of, as I was getting older, because as you would understand, hospitality is quite physical, and I've done my fair share of 18-hour days and worked really hard doing that. And as I got older, I thought, well, you know, what skills do I have or something that I could teach other people that is probably a little bit less physical than uh, running a kitchen and all of the different things. And so that's how I ended up starting my beachworming thing. And that's been very successful. Like your YouTube channel is kicking some really good goals. You've got, um, you know, I think over 70,000 subscribers on YouTube, which is no small feat. How did that come about of getting into YouTube? Well, at this point, um, Matt, I've got 60,000 subscribers, which is great. And I've had a channel for about six years. So it's been a gradual thing. And I've also been learning because obviously I've never been in front of a camera. And um, I initially decided to write a book on beachworming because there wasn't one. And I knew, as you've mentioned, it is actually really a difficult thing to learn. And people just need a good teacher. They need detail. So I thought, you know, one or two pages in a magazine is just not going to do it. And that's all it was. A couple of pages here or there in the odd fishing book. So my book ended up, because I thought when I started writing the book, I thought, how long can you write a book on beach worms? Is it like going to be five pages? You know, like 
how much information is there. But it ended up being 50 pages. So I wrote that book and I, and I did a lot of filming and did images of all the different parts and the process. And then I employed a videographer and I made a three-part video training series. So I had the book and I had the videos. And then I built a website myself, which I hadn't done. Um, and I registered the domain name beachworming.com.au, which happened to be available. I registered a few domains around that. And I was selling my book and my videos as like a training thing for beachworms on my website. And so I started making YouTube videos really as a, as a, a way to promote my beachworming course. And so I started making a few videos and they were going really well. But then obviously you catch worms to go fishing. That's the goal. So then I started making a few beach fishing videos and then it's sort of grown from there to the point now where like I was a bit sporadic with how often I made videos, but now I make one, I do a video at 3 p.m. every Saturday. So I do a weekly video. I've only been doing that for about nine months, but since I've been had the consistency of doing uh, videos, um, it's had a big impact on my channel. But probably my difference with the videos that I do is I'm really focused on teaching. It's not like I'm saying, watch me catch these fish. It's my whole purpose is I want to help you, the person who's watching. I want to be able to teach in a clear and simple way so that you can actually learn what I'm doing so that you can actually, you can have fun and you can catch fish. So that's the whole motivation is to teach. So my, my videos are much more kind of focused around that, the actual uh, teaching various things about fishing and explaining exactly why am I in a particular spot what am I thinking? What's my strategy? That's been good for me watching because uh, your videos are very good. You're, as a teacher, we refer it to like explicit instruction and you're very good at giving a lot of details so that as a learner, you're sitting there watching and understanding the thought process of where you're doing what and why you're doing what you're doing, which is great because for a lot of people, they just get out there and they're just having a go. And that's something that I'm guilty of. I did it for fishing. I've done it for hunting. Get out there, have a crack, uh, sort of try and put the puzzle pieces together as you go. But your videos for that, especially around beach fishing, I've really picked up a lot of things for my own beach fishing. So I uh, was down the South Coast a couple of weekends ago to try and give it a go. And unfortunately, the, uh, the little ones weren't great. So we didn't want to stay because the uh, – caravan prices now oh my god i didn't realize really? yeah we end up paying 70 dollars a night just for a tent spot wow yeah it's definitely increased and, and stayed in the same one that uh, i spent a lot of time in we had a permanent on-site van uh just more to go down memory lane i know a lot of the spots to go fishing i was going to hit up uh racecourse beach and you know, it's a nice nice little beach there just outside Aladala. You get a good sort of vantage point above to see where the channels and, and whatnot are so you can have a crack at. But I've always sort of known to do that, but I've then not known why. And that's been one of the great things about your videos. I Now I'm going, ah, that makes sense. That's why you do that. And it's been very, very helpful for me. And uh, I, I reckon that's probably why it's so popular is that, you do watch those other videos and people are catching fish, but it's them catching fish and yours really sort of flips that on the head. And they're almost like a, a term we call flip learning in, uh, in high school is that, you know, you're seeing to learn to then put it into practice. So that's been a, uh, a really positive thing. And I appreciate what you're doing because I love watching them. Well, you know, I found that sometimes I would watch um, YouTube videos because I, I want to learn as well. There's different aspects of fishing and stuff. And I would find that I'd be watching and I'm thinking, you know, how have they rigged that up? What plastic is that? Or what lure is that? Or what size hook are they using? Why are they fishing where they're fishing? And I just had questions. It's like I had all these questions, but the answers weren't there. So I kind of tried to the best of my ability to convey all of that information. Um, and I do feel I do, it's very rewarding doing that, and especially when I see all the comments of people that, a lot of people say they're catching fish now when they weren't catching fish before, which is really good. That is something. I love getting feedback, both good and bad for the podcast and whatnot. But when someone 
learn something from a great guest I've got on or put something into place or gets, you know, gets their first deer and they reach out. I love that. It's so rewarding. And even just when people say thanks and it's awesome because these things do take a lot of time and effort and it's not easy to do. It's uh, it is a big investment, especially I can't imagine how you do a video a week. I look at the podcast and, and see how long that takes and I don't use video that often and I sort of sit there and go, that's a lot of dedication and a lot of time clipping it all together. Uh, I've done a couple in the past, but they are such a time-consuming process. So props to you for doing that. I'm really curious because I sort of got out of fishing for a little bit of a chunk in time and concentrated on other things and I came back and so much has changed. So there was a big gap for me coming back and seeing all these plastics that wasn't sort of around, you know, when I was I was chasing things with sort of the hard lures and uh, deep divers and things like that. And I've come back and there's all these new plastics that you can use for bait. And I was like, what is going on here? This is a step in the a different direction for me. What has been the biggest change for you over your time fishing and something that works fantastic? I mean, I guess in answering that question though, there are foundational things that never change with fishing and even the simple things of using you know, natural baits and things will never change. Probably the biggest thing that, that did occur in Australia was the introduction of soft plastics. Uh, and because I grew up old school, only using monofilament line, hooks, sinkers, catching fresh bait, that's all I knew. So at first when the soft plastics came out, I found it a little bit, I lacked confidence with it because I bought, I thought, well, I'm going to try using the soft plastics and I bought a few packets, just went up to the local tackle shop, asked them, you know, can you, do you know which ones seem to be catching fish or working and what size jig head should I get? And my first use of soft plastics was in Beryl Lake, flicking them out there. And my first session using soft plastics, I didn't catch anything. And then what happens is you think, well, you just question yourself and you think, am I doing it right? Am I winding it in the right way? Am I using the right colour? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. <laughs> you know I, I mean, you know, but I, I was still bait fishing, but I started persevering with that and just doing a bit. I had a kayak and I'd go out of my kayak on the lake and I just used light line, six pound line, and I'd flick the plastics. And then I just started to catch a couple of flathead and a couple of brim. And once I, once you catch one fish, it's like, oh, it's like, you know, it works, it works. But for me, that was about 15 years ago. And so I've done a lot of soft plastic fishing since. And it's something that I really, really enjoy. But it was all about getting the confidence of knowing that your, your technique was right. Um, and then it's like anything, once you learn that. And, you know, soft plastics are very, very effective. They're not the be-all and end-all. I mean, it's just like braided line as well because braid, braid, the whole braided line thing, that was, another, that was actually another really big change because we never had that. It was just always nylon. And then all of a sudden you've got braid. But over my period of time where I've been using that, I understand now the differences between nylon and braid, the advantages of each um, and what the best applications are of the different things. And I appreciate both of them. And I do a lot of bait fishing now, but I still really do quite a bit of plastics fishing as well. I really enjoy it. It's just different different ways, different methods. Uh, I do like getting out on the lake, um, flicking plastics, because you can certainly catch a feed. And I used to be kind of like, oh, you know, lure fish and that fishermen, they're always, they're just casting all the time. And it's like, oh, I can't be bothered. <laughs> you know, they're just casting, casting, casting. I'd much rather put a bit of bait on and chuck it out and I can just relax and wait for a bite. You know, that's the way I used to be. But then now I actually appreciate, because with plastics, it's a little bit like hunting in a way because you don't know where the fish are. So you've got to prospect and test. And when you cast a plastic out, you're bouncing it back across the bottom or you through the water column, but you're really testing an area. And you know what? If there's any flathead there and they see something come past, they're going to grab it. But there might not be a flathead there and you don't know because you, you don't have x-ray vision. So you've got to cast at 12 o'clock and have a couple of casts. If you don't get a bite, then you go to 1 o'clock. You don't cast in the same spot and then you work your way around. 
and you test an area, if you don't get anything there after 15, 20 minutes, well, then you move. I mean, you can do that if you're in a boat, but you can also do that on the land. You can walk the shore and then you'll get to an area where you'll start catching fish. It just seems to be that's the way it works, you know. So two things that you touched on moving up and down the beach. I never did that. I chucked the sand spike in, beach right out and, you know, sat and waited, had a beer, happy days. But watching your videos, it makes complete sense. And we talked about in hunting and uh, a good mate of mine who lives down your way and is an avid fisherman. He's been catching a lot of salmon. So shout out there to Frank. I remember some advice he said that he got told when hunting is that if you find sign, don't keep going looking for more sign. <laughs> and it's, it's similar to what you're saying. If there's no fish there, you're looking for sign, whether it be that bite or, or what's going on. And there are things that definitely cross over. The other thing you touched on was Beryl Lake there and some of the best memories I have fishing up were in that lake or are in that lake that I remember I was lucky enough when I was about 17 that my father bought me a tinny with a little six Yamaha six horse motor and just taking that out and trolling for Taylor and getting just the little Taylor out of the lake on really light line and having them jump and go crazy. Geez, that was so much fun. I think, uh, you know, if I was down there for, you know, a month, I'd probably be out there, you know, at least 30 days doing it. It was just unbelievable good fun. And it's one of those things that what I love about fishing is that there's something for everyone. I get terribly seasick. And so I'm not very good at going out in the ocean, but when it comes to beach fishing, rock fishing and in the lakes, I absolutely love it. And I'll, you know, love to be out there and having a go. So that's something I love with fishing just because it's so, such a broad sport for everybody to do. Yeah. You know, it's wonderful for kids. I've got such great memories. It was so exciting, such adventure, you know, and you're just excited about catching anything. You know, and I know you've got young kids, but, but, you know, you want to get, I've got three sons and my wife and I are both very outdoors and we wanted to get our kids doing things outside. You know, they still obviously had computers and all the, all the normal things, but we wanted to get our kids outside in the fresh air, learning things, experiencing things. So we've always done that. We actually joined um, on the Northern Beaches, we joined the Bayview Sea Scouts because it was a scouting group, but they were sea scouts. So it was on the water at Bayview, on Pitwater. And they had sailing boats, kayaks, all sorts of stuff. So it was a combination of, you know, doing hiking and camping, but also doing water-based activities. So we did that for about 10 years with our three boys. Um, and, you know, we had many, many great experiences. And that's kind of where we started to get into a bit of um, wilderness hiking as well. I've done a lot now, probably in the last 15 years. I've done a lot of wilderness hiking. I did a hike in July this year in the Western McDonald Ranges near Alice Springs. Yeah, great spot I've been there. So I did a 100. I didn't do the uh, the full Larapinta Trail. I did about half of the Larapinta Trail. It was about 100 k's that we did. And we climbed a few mountains and we climbed Mount Sonder, which is the, the, the biggest mountain in that sort of area. And we had to get up at three o'clock in the morning because it was a 16K return, eight Ks up to the summit, eight Ks back again. That was that was towards the end of our hike, actually, after we'd been hiking for about seven days. But I really like that sort of stuff. I like having a pack and having your food for a week, you know, creating all your own dehydrated meals and just being out in the bush. Uh, I've done a fair bit of that in Tasmania as well. Um, I've been trout fishing in a lot of the wilderness lakes up there you'd love that sort of thing i'm actually going down to uh tasmania next year for a friend's wedding and that's big on the i've sort of twisted the wife's arm and said all right rather than just go down for the wedding let's make a you know week two week trip of it at least try and get some hikes in uh that's been the big one for me having kids probably been the biggest impact i think is i used to hike a lot just loved it love being in the bush just walking through it just it's it's my happy place at the end of the day and my uh one of my favorite walks is the um the one along the ocean from bundina to otford oh yeah another one yeah 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 beautiful spot uh i just stunning up on the headley and you get amazing views there yeah i absolutely love it and it's one of the ones i thoroughly just enjoy walking 
just such a beautiful time, especially depending on the time of year, if you get whales there as well, like it's so much fun. And so, yeah, for the wife, we were talking about that. So we've actually loaded up with, uh, I've got a, a kid hiking pack, so an Osprey Poco Plus off the top of my head, I think it's called. So the little one goes in the back and you can strap them in and then okay. we've got that one and we've got another one and we've been searching high and low because we now have three and trying to work out, well, we can't have two of these packs because then we're still one child short so i found a this little device it's like a canvas sort of strap where you can strap a kid on the front and it connects to your pack so i said to the wife okay this is what we're doing we're gonna have that and then when we go down to tassie i'll be able to carry two kids and you can one on the back and one on the front yep and you can take one and that should be give us enough to be able to get out there and do that so and i i do love trout fishing not that great at it i really want to learn how to use the flies rather than just spin for them but I love what you're saying because I'm the same with my kids. It's all about just getting them out, you know, trying to instill the love of the outdoors and adventure. And that's, there's never a dull day in the bush is what I say. I go out and I just have such a good time and learn so much and just experiences that you'll never forget. And a lot of people never get to do, uh, you know, I've said on the podcast before, one of my favorite memories is being out in the bush, just sitting down resting up against the log, knees up, and a, and a kidna walked up and went between my legs while I just sat there. Never even knew I was there. And, you know, there's those. And I remember as a kid, I must have been only, oh, I reckon maybe eight, and we were in Shallow Crossing, uh, Clyde River. I know Shallow Crossing. Yeah, yeah, great spot. And we're on the Clyde River, and Dad and a couple of mates, they were on boogie boards or surfboards just floating along the river. And I was on the bank because I was too little. And I was really envious because I wanted to be in the water, but a uh, platypus came up to them. Really? And just came up to my dad and was sniffing around wow. his shoes and came up to the, you know, so it was amazing. And we were all sort of like, what the hell? Completely wild platypus, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And I still remember that. And I, was, I reckon that's probably one of my earliest childhood memories. Just those things are so great. And I'm trying to get the little fella into fishing at the moment. So I just got him his little ugly stick combo. It's only a little like two footer. Uh, and but he's got the winding down pat now, and he's he loves it. We I've been ch- chasing the old mud marlin up here in the Nepean River, and he uh, he doesn't leave the hook in long enough for anything to take it, but he just loves seeing that float go out and come back in. So hey, if he's happy and he's enjoying that and asking to go back and do it, for me that's a real positive thing. So I'm super excited to uh, get him his first fish soon and. Hopefully um, that'll come in the next either down here chasing carp or uh, or when I go up to Queensland, that'll be one one or the other, but that'll be great fun just to get him. I think once he gets that first fish, he'll be hooked. So that's that's a massive win. I mean, it's just it's time that you can spend together. It's really good. Yeah, and I think it's ongoing, isn't it? Like it's for me, one of the things I said, I've done a lot for sport and played quite high level in multiple sports. And one of the things I just – always bugged me a little bit about that was the fact that at some stage my age would catch up with me and I couldn't play. And that is where I look at fishing and hunting. It is something that you can do for the rest of your life. And being outdoors, even hiking, you know, pretty much unless you have some serious injuries and your mobility suffers. But the reality is you can still probably get out there in some capacity. And that was one for me that I really wanted to be able to do. As you said, you could do that with your kids or do it with just yourself as well. So look, I'm not a great fisherman, but if there were basics to tell people, because we might have some people out there that have only done sort of hunting and they're sort of thinking about fishing, what would be a couple of basics you'd say, hey, this is a good place to start? Besides the YouTube channel, and I thoroughly encourage everybody to get on the YouTube channel, it's uh, Roger Osborne Fishing. There's some great bits of gear on there, but what would be some basics, Roger? Okay, well, probably one real basic would be that people think, okay, where? Where am I going to go fishing in a particular waterway? The simple thing is, is that you've got to think, see, fish are quite simple. They're just looking for food. And what we look for is we, it's like, I guess, with hunting a little, we think, okay, where does natural food occur? And where the natural food occurs, that's where there'll be fish because they're they're looking for dinner. So I'll give you an example. If you have a wharf or a jetty, that wharf has pylons that grow. On the pylons, you have barnacles, um, you have mussels, you have weed, 
then that creates a home for crabs. And then you've got the little crabs there and even little baby, you know, the little shrimps, the little baby prawns. If you were at actually at Barilla Lake, if you went down to any of the wharfs at this time of the year and you stuck your head over and you looked on the pylon where all the weeds and stuff, you'd see these little baby prawns in there. So they are a place, they're a natural place for different size fish to come and eat. And then when there's small fish, there's big fish. So things like wharves and jetties are a good place to fish, probably for kids and families, because they have a natural kind of ecosystem of food, which will attract fish to that area. Another, I guess, a very simple explanation, if you think about flathead, let's just talk about flathead for a second. If you look at a flathead, what shape is a flathead? It's, well, it's, it's kind of, a, it's a flat fish. And where are its eyes? On top of its head, looking up. Yeah, so if its eyes are on top of its head, you know, we know that they basically, they nestle in the sand and they're ambush predators. So 95% of the time with flathead, they're sitting and they're actually waiting for their dinner to come to them. And so just thinking about that for a minute, flathead you find mainly on a sand bottom or sandy areas. Uh, because they can nestle into the sand and they can sit there and wait for little fish and prawns and things to swim past. Also, typically in our estuaries, and you would know like in Burrill Lake, is you have weed banks. And then generally you'll have a weed bank and it'll stop at a certain point and then from then on it's sand. So those weed banks are once again these whole little ecosystems of prawns and small fish. So fish like flathead will nestle on the sand just beyond the edges of weed banks because all these little fish and things, they swim out of the cover of the weeds, you know. So the flathead are going to be where their food is. Uh, so they'll position themselves in places like that. Also, flathead will feed where there is current because when you've got a tidal flow, that tidal flow can wash food along. And that's one of those things with them where they're sitting there in a stationary position. They're lying on the, their eyes are looking up and they're, they're just waiting for things to come past that they can grab. So if someone's going to a lake or a river or a place, you want to think, okay, where does natural food for fish occur? Uh, what type of fish do I want to catch? Do I want to fish for flathead? Where would they most likely be where that they would find food? And so you can think about those edges of weed banks. You can know that you're going to find them. They won't normally be sitting on weeds. They'll, they'll be on the sandy bottom. And, you know, that's why moving baits like flicking plastics or lures across works well with them or even using live mullet because you put a live bait on and it's wiggling around and creating some, some movement. As opposed to, for example, if you put on a prawn, which is dead, and you chuck your line out, it's going to land in the water, it's going to sit on the bottom, and it's just going to sit in one spot. Now, if you happen to land within a metre of a flathead, well, then probably it's going to, it'll see it, it'll smell it, and it'll eat it. But if there's a flathead five metres away, maybe it, maybe it won't, because it's just a stationary bait, it's just sitting still. I guess that's just a little bit of information anyway. We could be here for hours and hours and hours talking about those things, but uh, you took me back then when you were talking about the little prawns or shrimp in the weeds. I remember as a kid just getting a real fine net and scooping along the weed and catching them and little baby eels um, in Burrell Lake. Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing the little baby eels. Yeah, they were all through there and that was – Man, I remember just doing that, spending so much of my like younger years down in Burrell Lake there, just doing those things. And they were always fascinating, just seeing them and putting them in the bucket, watching how they wrapped around things and imitated the weed and then just putting them back. And that was so much fun. I think that's the thing with all these outdoor pursuits is I find you're always learning. And like even yourself, you've probably, you've been fishing for a, a very long time and you're very good at it. And you're now helping a lot of other people get good at it. But I would still be guessing that you're continuing to grow and develop and change tactics and learn as you progress. Yeah, I, I think that's part of the enjoyment. I, I don't know what it is. It's kind of, I guess, it's like the hunting instinct. You know, it's like I'm all, I, I love the whole strategy side of it. I love looking at an area and just thinking, oh, you know, where would be the most likely places that fish would be? You know, I'm always... You know, I, I'm not someone who's kept a fishing diary. I know a number of guys who keep very detailed diaries of every time they go fishing, and it's it's really good to have a diary because you can look back and see patterns, and I think it's a great thing to do, but that's just probably not my – I'm not really a good administrator, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I do I do take note mentally all, a lot. 
if I go fishing to a particular spot and it's a certain tide and the wind's blowing a certain direction and the conditions are a certain way, and if I don't catch anything, it's like, okay, I was here at this time in these conditions and I didn't get any bites, even though I had really good bait and it was a nice time of the day. So I just put that in my memory bank. When I used to fish for drummer off the rocks, fishing for drummer, there's all sorts of subtleties like some places there's only two hours of the tide which is any good because it's got to do with how much water is there. Like they, some places are good at low tide, some places are good at high tide, but the only way you can find out is by actually just going all the time and then you'll find at particular points it's really good. And so I used to just spend the time. But then when I'd have a really good session, I'd remember this spot works really good at low tide when the swell is from the south and it's less than a metre. So then when I was going to go fishing off the rocks on the northern beaches, because I'd fished off the rocks so much, if I knew it was a northeast swell at about a metre and such and such a wind, I'd know, well, this place, this place, this place and this place are going to be suitable under these conditions. Or if it was a different direction or, or, you know, I mean, I guess you can you only learn that stuff by practice. Yeah, I mean, I, I like learning all of those things. And now I'm in a relatively new area on the south coast because I grew up on the northern beaches. I've only been here for, for five years, even though I did holiday here a lot. So when I moved down here, it's like I've got a whole lot of new headlands to learn. And it's like that with rock fishing. I've actually just got to put some time in to get down there, get to know the terrain how it'll work in different conditions and, and test and try. So I'm doing that down here. I'm, I'm, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning this part of the coast. Beach fishing is not so difficult. Beach fishing is much easier because the same kind of principles apply here as they would at Narrabeen or pretty much anywhere up and down the coast. When you look at the actual features on a beach and different things, you know, that's a lot easier than rock fishing and reading the terrain when you're rock fishing. That was something I always enjoyed. I found I did a lot of spear fishing where I liked to try and do rock fishing because I could get underwater and see what was going on, what structures were there. To give me a little bit more information that sometimes you don't get when you're above the water, but what a uh, what a great spot down there, South Coast. I absolutely adore it. And Ulladulla is just such a beautiful spot. There's so many memories and so much of my young life chasing fish and learning all outdoor skills came from down there. So it's a, it's a place that's definitely close to my heart. I do remember on Racecourse Beach there one time we were fishing off the rocks and uh, my old man was fishing off the rocks, I should say, and we were crabbing and trying to catch some crabs and he was chasing groper at the time, but he'd uh, that some people were getting into Taylor, I think it was off the top of my head, uh, Taylor or Salmon. And he put a, a pilchard out with a, a triple gang hook and we had a dolphin come in and pick it up and run with it. No. Yeah, we were oh, – I, I remember the feeling, all of us, because it was dad, mum, my brother and I, of going, oh, like just gutted. Like, oh, my God, we've hooked a dolphin. Like, oh, That's a pretty dolphin. rare. It was. The bugger was smart animals. He was just grabbing it and taking it for a run and dropping it. He did it about three or four times. And so we were just like, what the hell? So we were sort of petrified. We didn't want to wind it in. So it didn't, it didn't actually hook Never him. hooked him. He was just grabbing wow. it and taking it for a run. And we were we were just like honestly mortified that we'd potentially hook this dolphin because uh, you could see him come in. They were riding the waves. He was just playing. And it was just another thing I'll never forget. And, you know, we still talk about it. We catch up. And that probably happened. Oh God, I reckon probably 30 years ago now, but it's just, it's like it happened yesterday. So it's, those things are, are brilliant. What's your favorite thing to chase? What fish is the one that if you could only go after one fish for the rest of your days, what would it be? Well, I, I can't give you a, 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 a good answer. I'll give you a good answer because I, I don't have a favorite. You know, I, I love fishing for groper. I love fishing for drummer. I love fishing for snapper. I love fishing for Mulloway. I love fishing for why. I, I just, I really enjoy all of them. I don't actually have a thing where I have to do, you know, or, I, or I'm driven, if you know what I mean. I, I enjoy the variety. So I don't really have one single favourite thing. When I used to live on the northern beaches, I used to fish. I had a boat I used to fish out in the ocean a bit, but my target species were snapper, Mulloway and kingfish. And I caught plenty 
plenty of those. But that, but my main, actually, well, that kind of leads me to what my motivation is, is that I like to catch fish that I enjoy eating. And that's probably my motivation is I enjoy eating fish. And, I mean, obviously we love eating whiting. It's beautiful, delicate white flesh. My wife loves whiting. So, so that's obviously a motivation for me to catch whiting because she loves them. Yeah, so generally I'll focus more on the things that I like to eat and I just find it all super, super exciting. Totally understand there. I, I, we used to do that spearfishing. I would only shoot something that I was going to eat. Like it was just, it was never about just shooting something for the sake of it. It was find something that was legal size, that was good eating, that I really wanted to target. And uh, generally found that was red moeys. They were a, uh, or bandit, oh, okay. they were fantastic to eat and they, down the South Coast, there's some really good spots for them and they're, uh, they're a tough little fish to chase as well. So I did like the fact that it was a challenge. Like I'd still shoot a leather jacket, I'll be honest, because <laughs> I do love eating them, but the red moeys were always one that I'd really like to chase because I just found they were very finicky. So as soon as you started to drop down or, or get into that, they weren't, like a lot of fish will come to you if you sit on the bottom or, or get down because they're a bit curious, don't know what's going on. Whereas I found the red moeys down there didn't like that and they're a bit of a challenge. But uh, there's just so much to it. I, I I get why you can't give me a straight answer there because it is such a – and they all have such a different challenge to them. Like you mentioned drummer before, it's such a different way than chasing flatties or, you know, that's – that is great. I do love that. And I also like it when you don't know what's coming in on the end. Do you still get that? Because you've done such a fair bit of it now. And I noticed on a couple of videos, you sort of were predicting pretty accurately of what was coming in. Has there been too many times now you get surprised on what's on the line? Not from the point of view of knowing how to, how different fish fight. Because some fish are very easy to tell the way they fight. Snapper and brim tend to knock, do like head knocks, like kind of almost rigid head knocks, and they knock their head. They both do the same sort of thing. Trevally will kind of bounce around like that, you know, they kind of ding, 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 like that. Um, different fish feel different. So that's why you can say it feels like this or it feels like that, just purely because of the way that, that they fight. But you do get, it's hard to tell sometimes, you, get, you do get tricked. You think you've got something on, but it's uh, it's a different fish to what you think, but it's all good. Uh, yes, I I mean, any time out fishing is a win at the end of the day. So you do courses as well, don't you? Do you teach, you teach people um, in person or online? I um, This year I wrote an estuary, a lake and river fishing course because, you know, the first one that I did was my beach swimming course. My lake and river course have has 27 videos in it. It's not on YouTube. I basically thought through the whole process of fishing in estuaries and lakes and rivers, including all the target species and bait and everything. So I've created that and the 27 videos all have teaching notes with them. So I sell that uh, lake and river estuary course on my website, which is rogersfishing.com. So I have a YouTube channel, but I also have rogersfishing.com. And I did... Prior to that, I did a beach fishing masterclass as well. So that has 15 videos in it. Same sort of process where I was just going through everything I think about when I'm beach fishing and all the different aspects to it and how to read a beach and all sorts of stuff. So I have um, three courses. I have a beach fishing course, a beach swimming course, and a lake and river course, uh, which is all part. People can buy that on my website. Or I also have a membership. Um, it's like an online fishing club and people join. And when someone joins my fishing club, they have access to all of the courses. It costs $19.90 a month to be a member, but you get access to all the courses. And I also do a fortnightly Zoom training. So every second Sunday at 7 p.m., I teach for up to one to two hours. Uh, and all the Rogers Fishing members who want to participate in the join in the Zoom, they join me in the Zoom. And it's like an online fishing club. And I've got people in Western Australia, South Australia, Melbourne, the Gold Coast, got members from all different areas, and we all get together on Zoom and help each other. So I kind of have that apart from I make a lot of content, a lot of free content on YouTube to help people. But then I've kind of been working on building a library of fishing courses. My next one is to start a rock fishing course which in itself will be 
you know, there's a fair bit, fair bit of detail in that. In all the basic stuff, obviously it involves a lot of safety. I've fished off the rocks since I was a teenager and it's one of my favourite things and I still fish off the rocks a lot now. But, you know, you've got to be smart. And, um, you know, I love the rocks passionately and I've fished all night so many times. I've fished under the light of a full moon on the rocks. It's been wonderful and caught some pretty epic fish doing that. So, yeah, so, I mean... Yeah, I have the Rogers Fishing website. I do all the courses and it's been going really well, actually. That's awesome. That sounds like such a great resource. I might uh, have to look into that for my old man. Well, hopefully we might get some international people on board because we uh, found out the other day the podcast is listened to in over 32 countries. So that's a – Is that right? Yeah, it's pretty – I was pretty happy about that. I just – didn't really know Spotify do this like analytics thing and they send out what's you know how many people listen and how many people you're in their top podcast or top 10 podcasts and how many countries so I, I looked at it and went oh there's 16 I was really happy I was like 16 countries that's pretty cool and then sort of actually spent a bit of time breaking down the analytics with Apple and and whatnot too and went oh it's over 32 that's fantastic so pretty cool so shout out to all those international listeners out there too thanks for jumping on board and having a listen and uh, hopefully you're enjoying it. Mate, what is your most memorable fish? Like what's the one that you go, geez, that was either the most challenging or it was just a personal best? Is there one that sticks out for you? It's hard to pick, but um, I I went fishing. I wanted to fish for Mulloway off the rocks, and I went down to the rocks with my wife. It was the 9th of January, so that's the time of the year it was. It was actually a full moon. People have all sorts of theories on full moon, no moon, but in that particular case, it was a full moon. And um, my plan was to jig up a squid and then lop its head off and chuck the squid head out for bait. So that's what I did. I got down to the rocks maybe about an hour before dark because my plan was to fish. It was high tide right on dark and just to fish. And it was a full moon, so it was nice and light. It was blowing a north nor'easter and I was fishing on a headland which was facing south. So I had the north nor'easter at my back and a nice... Uh, flat level platform that was low to the water so I um I put my I, I caught a squid which was great I put the squid on on a tenno hook so you know nice big hood a whole big squid head and I whacked it out and it had only been in the water for about 15 20 minutes and I'm holding my rod there and I just felt it, it started to started to go so I thought I'm just gonna wait and I just let the line the line was you know line was going out I thought okay anyway then it just stopped and I'm going oh I'm going, I missed it. I blew it. I should have struck. You know, I knew a fish had picked it up and was taking out. So I'm going, oh, bugger. So I started winding my line and all of a sudden my rod goes around to the right like that. And, my, and anyway, what had happened is a fish had taken it out, grabbed it and then swam back towards me and swam along the rocks. So I'm winding like this and all of a sudden, oh, and I fought this big fish. And I, I landed that fish. It was, it was not massive. It was 16 and a half kilos, which is just a nice medium size, not a massive mulloway. So what's that? That's about 30, 35, 36 pounds. Yeah, roughly there. But that was just an awesome experience with my wife. What I actually did is because, you know, I had the fishing fever, so we caught this mulloway. I gave it to my wife. She actually had to carry it up the car. <laughs> it was up a, bit of, <laughs> up a bit of a headland. I said, honey, I'm going to stay down here. So anyway, you know what? I fished. I stayed down there. I had a mate with me and we fished the whole night. Yeah, right. Fished all night. <laughs> Uh, I didn't get any more bites after that, but at seven o'clock the following morning, I caught another mulloway. <laughs> oh, you got, your patience paid off. So I'd been there all night. It's funny. So almost like the seven o'clock the night before, I got one. A similar tide the following morning, I got another one. I actually, um, yeah. So I've had a, I had a few good experiences in that particular place fishing for mulloway. That's just one experience, but it was just enjoyable. You know, whenever you kind of have a goal and you. You catch the bait that you want to catch and then you achieve what you want to achieve is really good. I think that's a big one compared to hunting is that you do get to catch the bait and we're so lucky. There's, it's so much fun to do it, whether it be chasing, you know, pumping nippers or I love chasing squid with a prawn jig and just like there's some great spots down the south. I, I reckon you probably go to similar ones, but they are probably. so much fun. And then just being able to even prawning, getting in there, doing that, it's almost like it's a 
more of a complete circle when you are catching it than, you know, I look at hunting and I love hunting, but you're finding animals and, and then hopefully shooting them. Whereas with fishing, you know, you can catch the bait. So it's like all these additional steps to really round out the whole process. That's cool. I really enjoy that part of it. And I, I could do that all day, like pumping nippers. I used to do that on the, the sand flats and have such a great time. I'd be out there for two, three hours, you know, tide permitting. And, and that was so much good fun. And then, you know, obviously fished with them, but if you didn't get a fish, it was still okay. And, you know, if you got baited, you're like, oh, I didn't spend a heap of money. I just spent time, which was fun anyway. So they're all uh, fantastic times. All right, Roger, mate, is there, uh, so we've talked about all your education and things like that, which is fantastic. So I really encourage people to jump out there and, and check out, it was rogersfishing.com. Yep. I'll put all the links in the show notes anyway. So if you are keen and you hear that and you don't remember, just jump on the episode details and you can click across and get out there and support him. If you haven't checked out Roger's fishing channel on YouTube, you are living under a rock and get over on it because you will learn a heap. Uh, as Roger said, it is free. So it is a fantastic resource there. And I'm actually, I might have to have a chat to the wife and see if I can uh, get some of these resources because I, uh, I like to learn. And that's one thing for me. I'd love to make my, especially with kids, your time gets far more precious because you have so much less time to be successful. So I might, uh, we might have to have a chat off air, I think. So I will mention, I, I neglected to mention, I do do personal coaching. It's not a major thing. But I'm happy, I, you know, people ring me up and they want, so I take them fishing as a fishing guide. But yeah, it's just something I'm happy to do if I'm available, but not a major focus. Yeah, understandable. All right, well, mate, uh, love the new video with Starlo. That was sensational. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I was hanging for it to drop yesterday and uh, get out there and, and watch it. So if you haven't, jump over to Roger Osborne Fishing and subscribe because it is well worth it every Saturday at 3 p.m. It will, uh, yeah, you won't regret it. So thanks for joining us. I hope you got a lot out of this. I've had a a pleasure talking to you, Roger. Thanks very much for coming on and uh, I'm sure we'll uh, keep in touch. It's been my pleasure, Matt. Really great to meet you and yeah, all the best with your hunting and your fishing. Likewise. Thanks, Roger. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us and we will catch you next time. Bye for now. If you have a topic, guest, question, or any gear that you want to hear about on the podcast, shoot us an email, australianhuntingandbeyond at gmail.com. Alternatively, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All the links are in the show notes. If you haven't already, make sure you give us a review and subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.